Good morning, Genesis. How are y'all this morning? Jennifer, thank you for sharing that. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, this morning we're going to talk about Psalm 119. And I promise you we're not going to talk about all 180 verses <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, but I'm going to focus on one, and we'll bring in a few others as, as background. But Psalm 119.32 says, I run in the path of your commandments, for you have broadened my understanding. And this um, uh, psalm came to me quite a long time ago, almost 20 years ago, um, when Patty and I were in Singapore. We were living there. And um, the Lord had, had brought us to Singapore, had called us to Singapore. I, I was working a normal job. I wasn't a missionary or anything. Um, but uh, we had been there before. We had come back to the States, and he called us back to Singapore. And we, and we never knew really why we had gone back to Singapore, except that we were called. And about halfway through our sort of eight-year stint there, uh, we ended up, we found ourselves in a one-year spiritual training class that was just phenomenal. It was life-changing. And um, we did that uh, two nights a week for a year. And uh, one of the evenings, we were taking a break, and I was standing outside the building and just enjoying the evening for a few minutes. And a guy walks up to me that I didn't know. I'd seen him around. And he had a Bible in his hand, and, and he opens it up, and he says, hey. And I said, hey. <laughs> and he said, I got something for you. And I said, what's that? He said, I got a Bible verse for you. The Lord's laid on my heart. I'm like, okay, what is it? And he said, here you go. Psalm 119, 32. For I run in the path of your commandments, and you have broadened my understanding. And I said, wow, that's a really good verse. He says, yeah, I know. It's for you. I said, thanks. He said, you're welcome. And he walked away. <laughs> I was like, sayonara. And, um, but it stuck with me. It, it stuck with me, and um, as you can see, almost 20 years later, it, it has a lot of meaning to me because following God's commands, it can be hard, um, but uh, gaining understanding for what the Lord has, us, has for us is, is really exciting. So when we think about God's commands and, and following his commands, it's kind of good to understand what we're talking about. What was the psalmist dealing with in Psalm 119 when he was saying, I, I run in the path of your commandments? And what he was talking about was the Old Testament law the statutes that were laid out uh, for the people of Israel by God through Moses. And uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with the Ten Commandments, um, but there's so much more than that. Uh, Moses brought the Ten Commandments down from the mountain, but as they journeyed through the wilderness, um, God gave more and more uh, laws and statutes to Moses that we see in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And there were 613 laws and rules and statutes that the people of Israel had to obey. And um, why were all these laws given to Israel? Why so many specific statutes to Israel? Well, there's three reasons I'll go through quickly. One was to distinguish Israel from other nations. They wanted, God wanted Israel to be distinct from other nations in their behavior and in the fact that they worshiped one God instead of many gods. Another reason that he gave the law was to define and reveal sin. 
You can't reveal sin or know about sin if you don't know what it is. So the law defines sin and those things that God does, wants us to stay away from. Romans 3.20, in fact, says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So the purpose of the law was to reveal sin and uh, uh, to make us aware of it. And the third thing was to allow um, restraint within the nation of Israel. Evil is always present. Evil is always around us. And we're always going to be tempted that, by that. But a people that honor the law, people that um, honors the law uh, with their hearts will um, not always follow it perfectly, but they will be restrained and they will be different from others. In fact, God's law does, of course, appear to be very restrictive. And in fact, to be declared righteous by obeying this law, you had to obey all the laws all the time. And this was sort of the conundrum for the Israelites, right? They had this law, 613 statutes, but they had to obey them all the time. From the day they were born till the day they died, they had to obey all these rules completely and never fail. This seems like a pretty difficult and oppressive way to live, right? Obeying all 613 statutes every day for your whole life is difficult. And for normal people and for some of you exceptional people out there, it's, it's still pretty impossible to do that. And so on the surface, all of this seems pretty burdensome and pretty depressing. So that's the way I look at it. Let's take a look at the psalmist again and take a look at his attitude and in the face of these restrictive and, you might argue, oppressive laws, the psalmist has a very interesting attitude. So let's look at this again. Psalm 119.32 says, I run in the path of your commandments, for you have broadened my understanding. And so the first thing we note is that he's excited. He is really excited. He doesn't just say, I walk in the path of your commandments. He's like, I run in the path of your commandments. His heart, he's on fire. He loves God's commands. That seems pretty contrary to the way I look at it and as we just described. The second thing is that the psalmist is moving. I run in the path of your commandments and there's, there's an clear element of moving. He's not sitting still. He is moving forward. Um, interesting point here. God, as you know, is always on the move. And so if you're walking with God, if you're following God, if you're running after God, guess what? You're going to be on the move too. So let's talk a little bit about moving and what that, what that means. So that picture of moving, of running, means really, really walking with God. And what does that mean? So take this picture of a father walking with his child. My daughter's here. Hi, Nikki. We've had lots of walks together. Let's have this picture of a father walking with his child, maybe through the woods or, or um, a, along a quiet road, and the father's just pointing things out. Hey, look at this. Check this out. Isn't that flower beautiful? Isn't this right? And by the way, check out in that tree over there. The father knows what's in the tree. Check in that hollow of that tree over there, and the child goes over and looks in the tree, and there's a bird's nest, right, with little chicks in there, and the 
child's like, wow, that's amazing. I've never seen this before. And the dad's just like watching the kid and, the, and the, they come back and uh, it's pretty amazing, right? Uh, the joy that they can share together in that experience as the father shows the child what's, what's happening around. And our walk with God is meant to be like that, that we can have that same childlike attitude with God, where God wants to show us things um, and, and we should be eager to, to hear and see what he wants to show us. So, how do we know that God wants to show us amazing things? Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you did not know. God wants to show us amazing things. In other translations, it says unsearchable things God wants to show us. So at the end of the day, that same father and child, they're sitting together at home and they can reflect on the day's activities and the day's discoveries. And maybe if the child was actually disobedient and did not obey what the father said, um, the father might say, you know, it was a great day today walking with you, but you didn't do everything I told you. And I just want to let you know you missed out. And the child's like, well, what? What do you mean I missed out? Well, I had some really cool things to show you, and I, and I asked you to go and look, and, and you didn't want to do it. And I'm just telling you, I'm really sorry you really missed out. And the child is so sorry, like, well, what was it? What was it? And the father just simply says, we're going to walk again tomorrow. And you obey, you listen, you obey, and then you will see. Let's do it tomorrow. And so it's sort of this attitude then that the child would have, like, can't wait for tomorrow, even though he messed up, right? And the psalmist has that same attitude. I run in the path of your commandments, for you have broadened my understanding. If you obey, you will see. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And again, if you obey my commandments, Jesus promises that he will see and bring us understanding. So the first point was that the psalmist is excited. The second point is that he's moving. And the third point that I want to bring here in the beginning is that God has broadened his understanding. He understands things now that he didn't understand before. Great and unsearchable things he knows now that he didn't know before. There's an upward spiral to this that we need to understand. I hope you can see this, that as we obey, and it's hard, right? It's hard. We, we obey, but we do it, and then God reveals something. We understand something as we obey, and we walk in obedience and then the next day comes, we're a little bit more encouraged to obey than we were the day before, and God reveals more. And so we climb this sort of staircase towards God in obedience and understanding and getting over close, closer to him. Does that make sense? God wants to build us up and mature us in this way. So the other interesting thing about the psalmist is that he's clearly learned the benefits of God's commandments. Now, we didn't read the whole psalm, and, and, and I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I didn't want to keep you here till uh, 2 o'clock. Um, but let's look at some of the examples that we have of obeying um, God's commands and, and some of the blessings that are there. First, first is verse 1. You will be blessed 
Verse 1 says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. The second is that you will not be put to shame when you follow God's commandments. Verse 6 says, Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. How about joy? It doesn't sound reasonable that in in following all these uh, commandments that you could have joy. But verse 14 says, I rejoice in following your statutes as one who rejoices in great riches. I can imagine winning the lottery, right? That's how the psalmist feels about rejoicing in the statutes. The next is that your eyes will be opened, what we've been talking about. My understanding will be broadened. Your eyes will be opened. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And in verse 24, uh, God's statutes bring wisdom. God's statutes are actually counselors for us. They bring wisdom. Um, It says, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 25, understanding brings repentance. I want to hang on this one for a minute because if you're walking with God, repentance needs to be a part of your walk. Don't ever forget about this. Repentance needs to be a part of your walk. I love the song we played earlier, the the worship team played earlier. Lay me down, Lord, lay me down is a picture of repentance. And verse 25 says this, I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. God's law is a mirror where we can take account of ourselves. We can see ourselves in the mirror of God's law, of his expectations for us. Verse 26 says, I, have an ac- I gave an account of my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. And The last one I have to share with you is that God's law keeps you from deceitful ways. And when I think about this, God's law keeps you from being the person that you don't want to be, right? Verse 29, keep me from deceitful ways, be gracious to me and teach me your law. So some great benefits that the psalmist has, has laid out in just the first 30 verses leading up to verse 32 of the benefits of keeping God's commandments. And certainly that's part of the excitement that he's generated uh, for himself in, in following these commandments. So now we have a paradox. The paradox is that while the law seems overwhelmingly oppressive, it's actually not oppressive God's law was meant to set us free. Hebrews 10 says that the law is a reflection of good things to come. Why? Well, in the the law, there's a lot of bad news, a lot of rules, right? Punishment for disobedience. But there's good news too. So what's the good news in this? Well, I'll share that in a minute. The bad news first. (laughs) The bad news is that we cannot attain righteousness through obedience to God's law. We will always fail to keep them. Most of you know that. But here's the hard part. A big part of God's law, not all of it, but a big part of God's law, all these rules and expectations, God's law is unmovable. 
It's hard. It has a hard edge. When you fail to keep God's law, God's law will not listen to excuses. God's law in and of itself doesn't care about repentance. It's just there. It's hard. And if you're under this portion of the law, if you're trying to perform against this portion of the law, you're cooked. You are smoked, so to speak, for eternity. But the good news that's actually embedded into the law, right? So we've got all these statutes, and part of those statutes is some good news. And in that is that God made a way for the Israelites to atone for their sins and be made right with God again. So it was not all a lost cause, even though that they would fail to meet them. In the Old Testament times, the Israelites could stay in God's favor through sacrifice and the shedding of blood. And the sacrificial system of atonement was actually, as I said, a part of the law. So while there was punishment in the law, there was allowance for redemption, right? Which is very important. God built that into the law. And Hebrews 10, looking back at the law, Hebrews 10 is in the New Testament, tells us that the sacrifices did not take away sin or cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. You might ask, well, what was the point? The point is that it was another part of the law that needed to be obeyed. And this allowed the Israelites for a measure of obedience in face of their disobedience, right? And so in this obedience, as the Israelites were obedient to that part of the law, the sacrificial system of the law, in that obedience, God offered two things, his protection and his favor. So in all of that then, this atonement, the sacrificial system, was a lot less about the sinner appeasing God than God making a way for his people to be redeemed to fellowship with him. Does that make sense? But not all sins were covered by atonement. Murder, adultery, idolatry were all punishable by death, and there were others that were punishable by banishment. So how does God's commandment set us free? It still sounds kind of depressing, doesn't it? I'll come back to that later, I promise. I'm not going to give you the answer just yet. How about some good news? The good news is that uh, Jesus Christ came. He came to fulfill the law. Now, when Jesus came, did he put an end to the law? No, he did not, oddly enough. Jesus did fulfill the law, but he did not abolish the law. That's an important point. He fulfilled the law by obeying every statute, walking a sin-free life. That made him the sinless lamb of God then he could then fulfill the sacrificial system by being the perfect sacrifice by the shedding of his blood on the cross for our sins, right? Jesus' death and, <laughs> his death and resurrection and the pouring out of God's spirit on the day of Pentecost, on that day, that marked the end of the era of the Old Testament law and the ushering in of the era of grace or the administration of grace under what we know as the New Testament time. 
Many of us think that because we live in this administration or era of grace, that we can do whatever we want to, that the law doesn't apply anymore. It's easy to see from Scripture, actually, how we could gain that understanding. So let's take a quick look at Romans 6.14. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. In Romans 3, 23 and 24, you may be familiar with this verse. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. And there's so much magnificent truth in this, but as humans, we tend to take this grace for granted. We all do. As Christians, we're not called to obey the law. We are not called to that like the Old Testament Israelites were. We're not called to obey the law. We're called to be holy. And being holy will result in obedience to the law and so much more. So, if it was impossible to obey the law before, and so much more is going to be expected of us now, which we'll go through in a minute. How are we ever going to do that? What does Jesus have to say about this? In Matthew 5, Jesus says this in verses 17 to 19. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So, not only does Jesus fulfill the law, but he's taking it further. We are going further. The law says, do not murder. Jesus says, if we're angry with our brother, we are already in danger of judgment. Why? Because we are sowing the seeds of murder in our hearts. The law says, do not commit adultery. Jesus says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. What is Jesus trying to highlight here for us? He's trying to say that our actions matter because the law matters. It hasn't gone away. Our actions matter. But what he's saying is that what is in our hearts is every bit as important and even more important than our behavior. And Jesus is bringing a new dimension to this law, and we can see this as he talks to the Pharisees. In Matthew 22, he says, he's asked by a Pharisee, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets, all the Old Testament hang on these two commandments. Love God. Love your neighbor. One command, two objects. The command is to love. Love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. Then love your neighbor as you love yourself. So let's step back and take a look at the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to walk you through them, but I want to point out a few things about the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20. 
The first four commandments are about God. So, if you love God, you will not have other gods before you. If you love God, you will not make an idol. If you love God, you will not profane his name. If you love God, you will keep the Sabbath. The commands are there, but the intent is that we would love God, and as we love him, we automatically obey the first four. The last six are about loving those around you. So, if you love your neighbor, you're a lot less likely to murder him. (laughs) If you love your neighbor, you're a lot less likely to cheat on his wife or to lie to him or to steal his stuff or to covet his things. If you love your neighbor, these things won't be a problem. And if you love God and you love your neighbor, you're also going to honor your father and mother. Hi, Mom. Mom's here. Does that make sense? The contrast there of the commands and the love that automatically allows us to obey those commands. So, The Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, as stated, were very demanding of our behavior. But that was never God's intent for us. God never intended that we would manage our behavior. He wants our hearts. He wants our very hearts. He doesn't care as much about our behavior as he does about what's in our hearts. The prophet Jeremiah told of a time to come when God would make a new covenant with his people. And back to Hebrews 10 we see that Jesus ushered in. He was the one that brought this new covenant that God promised. It finally came with Jesus. And in Hebrews 10, it says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's you. The Holy Spirit testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. The point that Jeremiah was making that was brought up in Hebrews is that we don't have to carry around the scrolls, as it were, of the Old Testament and keep pulling them out. They're on our hearts. We know when we, when we start to break one, when we move to the left too far and we start to break, what's on our hearts pulls us back, right? But there's more to it than that. Jesus made it clear to the Pharisees that they had it wrong. The Pharisees were obedient. The Pharisees did everything they were supposed to do. But Jesus said, you got it wrong. God demands more than obedience. Like the Pharisees, we can obey with our behavior. We can obey with our actions. But in all that, we can still retain hardness in our hearts, right? We can do the right things and still be hard-hearted. Jesus made it clear that just because we don't physically commit adultery doesn't mean we haven't lusted in our hearts and, and been guilty of adultery in that way. We can obey but remain hard-hearted. The prophet Ezekiel foretold of a day when God would do amazing things for his people. 
And the prophet Ezekiel was looking forward to this day now. I wish he was here to see this. And he said this in Ezekiel 36. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God will change our hearts. How? By putting a new spirit in us. So I'm going to come back now to the two unanswered questions we had before that left you hanging. Sorry about that. How can we as Christians be obedient to the law even, and even more as demanded by Jesus? How can we be obedient to everything that was in the law and so much more? The answer is, on your own, you can't. We can't. We can't do it. But he can. Through him, we can. The new covenant means that when we believe in Jesus, we are born again of the Spirit of God. We become spiritual beings because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. That's an awesome fact and one that you can rest on. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's through that power that we can even begin to think about meeting the demands of the law and the the greater demands that Jesus has for us. The real power that resides within us is the power of love. Through the Holy Spirit, we can begin to love God and love others like we never imagined. Um, My wife will tell you, she would agree with this, I'd say up till about, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago, I have to admit this, I had no compassion. I'm a guy. What can I say? I had no compassion for anybody. So, you know, if you were depressed and feeling down and you came to me and said, oh, you know, Paul, I'm really feeling bad, I'm like, dude, suck it up. Move on. Or, you know, maybe... uh, You've been struggling with, a, with, with unemployment and looking for a job, and you know, now it's you know, month three, month four, and oh, I'm, I'm really, you know, and I'd say, dude, how many resumes did you send out this week? Only 20? Why not 50? What's the matter with you? I mean, no compassion whatsoever, and on and on. So I realized, and I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit working on me, one day I realized, man, I've got no compassion. I'm like a a one out of a hundred on the compassion meter. And, you know, I'm a mature Christian. So I just went before the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't have any compassion. I have zero. And the only way I'm going to get it is from you. So, Lord, would you grant me compassion in my heart that I don't have? That was my earnest prayer to the Lord. A few days later, it wasn't long. Wham! I get hit with this new thing. Compassion. Someone says, oh, Paul, I'm feeling really down. I'm really depressed. Oh, tell me about it. What's going on? I'm like, who, who is this guy? Now, you know, looking forward, I can't even believe it, you know, when someone asked me about eight or nine years ago, hey, do I want to be involved in inner healing ministry? I'm like, what are you, crazy? (laughs) 
And uh, guess what? It's ironic. Now I'm leading the redemption group ministry here at Genesis. <laughs> Go figure. When we allow God's love to flow through us, we will love him and we will love others. This alone allows us to meet the higher demands of Jesus and thus automatically meet the demands of the law. Trying to obey the law without the empowerment of the Spirit was exceedingly burdensome for the people of Israel. And for this reason, I think that the author of Psalm 119 was David. It's not specified who it was, but when you look at the psalm and the rhythm of it and the, and the highs and the lows, I encourage you to read it. Um, you know, I'm laid low in the dust. I delight in your commands. It sounds like David, right? But the other reason I think that it was David was because he had an understanding of God's commandments that was beyond himself, that can only come with the Spirit of God. And David was the only one at the time who was empowered with the Spirit of God. Not only was he a king, but he was a prophet because the Spirit of God rested upon him. Only by the Spirit of God can God broaden our understanding. Walking with Jesus is not a heavy burden. What did Jesus say? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the second question I left you with, I don't know if you remember, but how can God's commandment set us free? Like Old Testament believers, we are obedient. When we are obedient, God's a, God grants us protection and he grants us favor. He showers us with his love. This is amazing truth. If you can walk in the confidence that God has your back and that more than that you have his favor and his grace and his love, you should be set free. We can rejoice in God's command when he has our heart. Following God's command by behavior modification is performance. It's a bummer. It just doesn't work. Following God's commands because our heart's desire to do so is gospel transformation. We can obey God because we walk with him and hear his voice and receive guidance from him. And Jesus promises to free us from all of these things that hold us back from following him. Hebrews 12 says this, verse one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Well, that sounds like we need to do something. But there's something else. Let's continue reading. As we go on in verses one and two, it says this. This will be familiar. And let us run with perseverance. The race marks out for us by fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Sound familiar? Run with perseverance, the race marked out following Jesus. Myself, I'll just share with you uh, my stages of, of obedience and what it's meant in my life. Um, when I started as a young Christian to, to understand what obedience meant, I read the Bible, I saw the commands, I saw the commands in the Old Testament, the ones in the New Testament. By the way, 613 in the Old Testament, over 1,000 in the New Testament. That should encourage you. I would obey because it seemed like the right thing to do. I'm a new Christian. The Bible says do all these things. Okay. 
Guess what? Try, fall down. Try, fall down. Jesus, forgive me. Fall down. Jesus, forgive me. <laughs> it was just a cycle that I couldn't seem to get out of, and it wasn't very encouraging, except for the fact that I did believe that Jesus would forgive my sins. The second stage of obedience for me, the second you know, part of my walk was when uh, my wife Patty and I started to serve God by reaching out and loving others. We were in a, a community group that was very insular, very self-focused, and we decided, hey, we're going we're gonna to break out, we're going to do some volunteering, we're going to do some outreach. And um, as we stepped out into this new service for God, this new thing happened. The enemy showed up. And this was the hard part. At the time, I did not believe in Satan. I didn't believe that the enemy was real for reasons we'll talk about later. Um, and the enemy hit. He hit hard. He hit with the threat of death in numerous ways, numerous ways for Patty and I and our friends. And Singapore is the safest place in the world, literally, is the safest place in the world. The enemy was trying to literally kill. That's how hard it was for us at that time. And through this, I learned about the reality of the enemy and the reality of spiritual warfare and that this enemy wants to keep us from this walk with God and serving and loving others. And I learned then that if I was obedient, then I would be protected. And so the second part of my obedience and walking with God, I had a purpose for obedience, and that was to be protected from the enemy. And that felt good. Now I could serve God in obedience and know that I'd be protected from the enemy. But lastly, in stage three, becoming more, I have become more obedient as I walk with him. And now the commands are more specific. The commands are no longer the 613 Old Testament statues or the 1,000 in the New Testament. The commands are Paul. Here's what I want you to do today. Here's what I have for you. Go and do it. And mostly I choose to say yes. I say mostly. Sometimes I miss like the little child and God will show me tomorrow again what I need to do. But if you know me, you know that I have hundreds of stories because I hear God's voice. He tells me things to do. And in that walking, in that running towards what God has for me, his command for that day, he shows me great and amazing things. Amazing things happen. I love that, and I love to share the stories of what God has done. And I want to share with you quickly uh, another person in our midst who has just been an example to me of obedience. And it's the funniest thing, because my walk of obedience took years and years and years to get to that point. And if you know Robin, she sits in the back, Robin Haritunian. She's been a believer for a year. She accepted the Lord last year. And if you talk with her, and you should ask her, she is unflinchingly obedient to whatever the God, what God will tell her. Unflinchingly, and she hears God vo God's voice. A great uh, inspiration for me that such a young believer can have such a heart of obedience. We can all obey all that the Lord will have us to do by fixing our eyes upon Jesus. 
What joy there is in loving others. What depths of satisfaction that we can have in loving God and what deep peace there is in knowing that the God of the universe loves us. That's just awesome. And when we mess up, and we will, we need to let the Holy Spirit guide us into repentance. We need to be like the psalmist who said, I am laid low in the dust. And as we walk with him, he will guide us. He will pick us up. He will pick us up when we fall. And he will empower us, empower us and show us great and wonderful things that we did not know. He's going to do that for you and for me. This in turn lifts up our hearts so that we will look forward to another day of walking with him. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And Psalm 119.32, I run in the path of your commandments for you have broadened my understanding.